I am now going to introduce, very excited to introduce our guest preacher this morning, um, Billy Lyle. I met Billy almost 20 years ago. It was 2003. So we've known each other for a minute. Um, and we have crossed paths many, many times since then. Billy and I went into full-time uh, like vocational campus ministry together in 2003, and we attended Every Nation's School of Campus Ministry. It's like a six-month crash course in how to be a campus missionary. Quite a, quite a ride. During those six months, Billy and I, we actually shared a bedroom. We were, we were bunkmates, as it were. And um, we got to know each other, and over the years, we've just, yeah, we're still here. We're just, we're still here, um, which is quite something. But Billy um, is an amazing leader. He actually is the pastor, the lead pastor of one of our Every Nation churches in Hawaii, Pearlside, Honolulu. Amazing church there. If you're ever in the neighborhood, check out Pearlside. And um, yeah, he's gone on to, to study. He actually has a doctorate degree in relational discipleship, with, which I think is just like the coolest degree you could possibly get, in my opinion. Um, super talented dude, but most of all, he's my friend, and I love him, so let's give him some love together. Come on up, Billy. Thank you, buddy. Amen. Well, good morning, Grace City, Portland. It's really an honor to be here with you guys. Um, can you give it up for your pastors, Simon and Shirley Bardoni? I mean, they're amazing. Um, you know, for them to move here, to plant this church, to love on this city is just an amazing thing. And uh, one of my favorite memories of Simon, as he shared, we shared a room together for six months. And uh, one morning, I was sleeping. I think it was a Saturday, and I, I love to sleep in on the Saturdays. And I just hear this ruckus coming from my left side, and Simon's just going, what do they want? What do they want? And so I just wake up, and I see him pulling his bed up and, and his sheets, and there's ants all over his bed. And he's like... He's like, oh, they're everywhere. What do they want? And I just rolled back over like I didn't hear him. <laughs> but I heard him. Uh, but I was like, nope, not getting involved with that. I don't know what that is. I don't know why it's there. But that was one of my favorite moments. of Now, Simon's an amazing dude. Loves the Lord. I know he and Shirley love you, love this church, love this city. Uh, wonderful man of God. And so I'm just honored to be here to, to speak for all of you. I also want to thank the team here. I had a chance to get to know some of your leaders last night over dinner. Uh, just wonderful folks who love the Lord, love this church, love this city. And I'm just so, uh, you're so blessed to have an amazing pastors as well as leaders. So can we give this team here? A big round of applause. Amen. <clears throat> I, know that, I know what planting a church is like, and it's no joke. Um, and I, I just thank you all for being a part of the journey of Grace City Portland and the vision for this church going forward. And so uh, it's really an honor to be here with you guys. Um, I hope the holidays have been a blessed season for you and your family as we begin a brand new year. Um, I just wanted to, before I get into the message, uh, introduce you to my family. I didn't bring them with me because... Plane tickets are expensive. So I brought a picture because pictures are free. Amen. Uh, that's my family. Uh, my wife, Naomi, on the, on the right side there is, uh, is uh, my former senior pastor's daughter. So I married the pastor's daughter. Um, amen. I, I know you guys have one daughter. So if anyone ever wants to marry her, her, their daughter, they can talk to me and I will give them the inside scoop of all the drama and the challenges. No, I'm just kidding. That go along with that, uh, the blessings of it. But we've been married 17 years now. Uh, she's my best friend, and I've known her for 27 years, to be honest, and uh, we go way back, and so now we have a family together. Uh, my son Micah there in the middle is 13 years old. He's a basketball player. This is at a tournament we played in, in Orange County, one second place. 
Uh, the other team cheated, otherwise we would have won. Um, but but um, I, can I share a proud dad moment with you? So this is a picture, go to the next one, of my son hitting a three-pointer. Now, it's a proud dad moment, but, but more than just hitting the three, it's who he hit that three on. Now, I want you to see that kid there who's fouling him, by the way. Um, <laughs> arm all on the hand. You can hear the slap from across the court. Anyway, but that is Hall of Famer Troy Polamalu's son of the National Football League. That guy right there. My small Asian son hit a three-pointer <laughs> on an NFL Hall of Famer. And that's Troy taking a video of my son hitting a three on his son. I got to tell you, man, I was the most proud. When I, saw, when I saw the video back, I was like, oh, there's Troy taking a video of you. I was like, oh, my God. So I just like to imagine that he went home and played the video back for his son. You know, like, boy, don't ever let that happen again. You don't, don't ever let that. Because I went home, I said, boy, look what you did. <laughs> you hit a three on Troy Polamalu. I'll never have the advantage over NFL Hall of Famer ever in my life. So I literally tell this story everywhere I go. So, um, and I will continue to. Amen. Um, but anyway, um, my daughter Madison there is 11 years old. She loves every single animal, anything with fur that's cute. The irony is she's allergic to every single animal with fur. <laughs> that's cute. Yeah, I know. So I bought her fish. She's not happy about that. <laughs> uh, she doesn't even take care of it. I have to take care of the fish. But she loves dogs. She loves all animals. And so we're praying that God will heal her of her allergies so that we can get a dog because I would love one as well. Uh, my d- youngest is McKenna. She's six years old. She's the boss of the family. I haven't figured out how to tell her she's not in charge uh, because whenever she wants something, she just looks at you with those cute eyes and really, like, okay, you can have whatever you want. I'm working on it. I know that's not good parenting, but I'm working on it. Amen. One of the reasons why I... Uh, talk about my family is because it's part of my testimony because growing up I never wanted to get married never wanted to have kids I came from a broken family my parents were divorced when I was really young if you need to change this mic just let me know I can change it Um, uh, came from a broken family my parents were divorced my dad was a drug dealer and so he was in jail for much of my childhood all the way through high school never really had a father never had a father figure and as a result I thought man what's the point of getting married all marriages end in divorce right Uh, What's the point of bringing kids into this world? Because it's such a hurting, broken world. Like, is there any hope? What's the point? And, um, but you know, everything changed when I met Jesus. Amen? Jesus gave me hope. Jesus gave me a purpose. Jesus gave me vision. Jesus healed my heart, saved my dad, and changed my life. Amen? How many of you know that there's there's nothing that Jesus can't do? And so I, I share that to say that no matter what you're going through, no matter what challenges you're facing, there's no limit to what God can do in your life. Amen? And whenever I, I look at what God's done in just my life and my family, I'm convinced that there's nothing that he cannot do. The question is not, can God bring transformation into any dark or broken place? I mean, my dad got saved in prison. Long story short, he's actually on our staff now. Uh, my former pastor hired him to work on our staff, so I'm technically my dad's boss, which is super weird. But anyway, um, there's nothing that's so broken that God can't fix. The question is not, can God? I remember when I was a teenager, I used to say, okay, when I got saved, can God do anything with this brokenness? And now, 20-some years later, I look back and I say, the question is not, can God? He can do anything. The question is, will we trust him? Will we follow him? Will we be faithful? Because as we do, I've, I've seen it over the last 20 years being in ministry. God does amazing things. He loves to do amazing things. We were just at this student conference last week, and God literally healed people, set people free. There was a dude that, that came in uh, with all these allergies, and he was talking about how he was eating pizza and burgers and all this kind of weird stuff. But God can do anything. The question is, will we follow him? And so 
I want to encourage you, church. I don't know what you're going through today, what challenges you're facing. Our God is amazing. Can I hear an amen to that? There's no limits to what he can do if we trust in him. You know, like I said, we, we just came through the holiday season, and one of the things I really encourage our church on through the holidays is while Christmas and the holiday season should be an awesome time for people, we should celebrate and really rejoice, it's also a very challenging time for a lot of people, and I'm sure you're very well aware of that. I have a, some of the top psychologists in our church in, in the state of Hawaii, and they were telling me that, man, during the holiday season is when they get the most calls, suicide ideation, you know, divorce, substance abuse. I have some police officers in our church that say, man, the holidays are crazy, man, the, the types of calls that we get and the things that people go through during this season. So I really challenged our church to, you know, during the holiday season, don't just think about yourself and your family, but let's think about the people that God's placed you around, that we can love on them. They may be hurting, they may be depressed, and, and just during that season, I heard stories from three different people in our church about three other individuals that they're connected with who committed suicide just right around that time. It's not a far away thing, it's a near thing. All of us know people that are struggling and hurting, and maybe you're in a dark place right now. I have a buddy who, um, he's a small group leader in our church. He called me around August, and he, he told me that, uh, you know, uh, he just wanted to meet up, so I met up with him. And uh, he told me how he was dealing with depression, and he was having suicidal thoughts and all that, and so I, I ministered to him, encouraged him, and, and um, thankfully, God set him free from that, at least for now, and he's going to counseling and different things. And he told me right around, just before, the week before Christmas, a, a coworker of his called him and told him that, you know, I got a gun in my hand right now and I want to take my life. And so my buddy James was able to talk to him, minister to him, went over to his house, talked him off the ledge, and, and now he's in, he's in therapy, he and his wife, and, and, and he's now ministering to his friend, leading him closer and closer to Christ. This is real, amen? The battle that we fight here with broken people is a very real battle. And you all know someone that's gone through stuff or maybe going through stuff or, or if you don't know of them right now, we all know people that will struggle in the future. God has called the church of Jesus Christ to be dispensers of hope to a hurting world. Can I hear an amen to that? And, we, and I challenge our church, we can't just go through the holidays enjoying the parties and the fun and the food by ourselves and, and miss the hurt that's going on in the world around us. We have to be dispensers of the light and hope of Jesus Christ. That's why he came in the first place. It's why we celebrate Christmas. It's about the hope that came into the world. And I want to share with you a, sh a short message here this morning uh, that I've entitled, Live Beyond, Live Beyond. We're called to live beyond ourselves. We're called to live beyond our agendas for a hurting and dying world because Jesus lived beyond for us. He went beyond himself for us. And my prayer for the church in the world in 2023 is that we will all live beyond ourselves, giving hope away to the people that God has placed around us. The passage I want to read is from Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. Um, if you've been in church for a little while, you've probably uh, heard this. It's a famous parable, the parable of the talents, where Jesus reminds us of the eternal significance of our lives and living beyond ourselves. We're going to start in verse 14. It's in, he gives this parable in response to a question that was asked to him about the end times. Jesus, when are you going to come back, right? This is what he said, verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who received five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. He also, with the two talents, made two talents more. But he who received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. 
Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had received two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done. Good and faithful servant, you've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked, now watch this, you wicked and slothful, which means lazy and selfish servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was mine own with interest. So take the one talent from him. Give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has will will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is God's word. Can we pray this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and speak to us beyond anything that I would say. Holy Spirit, would you minister to our hearts, that we could hear your heart for your church, your people in this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. I wanna point out, four quick things from this passage and and apply it to our lives. First of all is this, God has entrusted us with his resources to steward for his purpose. God has entrusted each of us with his resources to steward for his purpose. Let's look back at verse 14. It says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Make note of that. It's God's property that has been entrusted to us. The resources that we have is his property given to us to steward. To the one he gave five, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability, then he went away. God is God and he owns everything, amen? Even the breath that we breathe, it's not ours, it's given to us. The time that we have is on loan, we're on borrowed time. Everything that we have, everything that we are, the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the, the intellect, the strength, belongs to God. It's his resources, And we're called to be stewards of his resources. Now, what is a steward? A steward is someone who's responsible for someone else's property, right? Those of you who have investments, uh, you put your money in with an investment broker or whatever, and they steward your money. It's not their money. And when you go back to them at the end when you retire, you're expecting there to be more than what you put in, amen? Don't look at your investments now because there might not be more than what you put in, but anyway, hopefully you don't need to retire right now. But the goal is when we get to the, you know, the end of the term or whatever it is that the steward stewarded it so well that there's a greater return than what we put in. And that's one of the things that God is telling us here. He's in stewarding us his property and he's gonna expect a return at some point for the stuff that he's given us to steward, the time, talents, and the treasure. Now, in this text here, it talks about a talent. He gave each a certain measure of talents. Now, a talent in the original context was a unit of measurement, roughly around 75 pounds of something, whether it was a talent of gold, a talent of silver, whatever. And in in later times, it became a denomination of money, worth one talent being worth roughly 20 years' wages. And so a talent is not a small amount of money. 
It's not an insignificant thing, right? So, for example, I looked it up in Portland. The median household income is about $76,000 a year. Some of you are like, what? (laughs) Okay, anyway. So one talent would be 20 years worth of that, which is about $1.5 million. How many of you would like a talent right now? Amen. Look under your seat. Just kidding. Um, (laughs) $1.5 million is not an insignificant sum of money. To the one who received two talents, that's about $3 million in today's equivalent. To the one who received five, $7.5 million. So it's not an insignificant amount of money that was entrusted to these servants. It was very significant, and the master expected a return for that investment. One thing I want to point out to us is you're significant. Amen? Even if you feel like you're the one-talent person, I got the short end of the stick. That's still $1.5 million. Who wouldn't want that? It's a significant amount of resources being invested into each of us that God expects us to steward for his purpose. Can I hear an amen? It's his resources. And sometimes we can look at ourselves and say, well, I'm insignificant, you know. I see those five talent people over there, man. They've got it all. They can do so much. You know, they're they're talented. They're beautiful. They're powerful. Whatever it is, they're charismatic. But me, you know, I'm just a one talent person. Still, that's significant. There is not one person on this planet that is insignificant because God made each person and he gave each of us his resources to steward for his purpose. Whether it's a lot or we perceive it to be a little, God knows what he's doing. And you're here in this this room and God has resources for you entrusted to every single one of us to be used for his purpose. Now, some of us don't know what we don't know what we have. We don't know what resources we've been given. I remember when I first came to church and I'd hear uh, Pastor Norman, who is my father-in-law, preaching messages like this. I would go, man, you're talking about other people. You're not talking to me. I'd look at the people, you know, on stage and different things and be like, those are the talent people. Me, I'm the one talent guy. I don't have much at all. And maybe you feel like that right now. The reality is when you start using whatever little talents you have, God multiplies it. So I remember I was in church and, and just feeling all insecure, because I grew up an insecure kid. Like I said, my dad was in jail, parents were divorced. I just insecure, lost. And someone just said, hey, why don't you greet at the door? Can you greet at the door? I'm surely you can do that. I was like, all right, I can do that. He literally put a stack of bulletins in my hand and said, can you do this? I was like, yes. Okay, then you can greet. Bam. And he stuck me at the door, and I just smiled, and I did that. And then they asked me to help in the kids' church. I said, okay, I guess I can help with the little kids. And then someone stuck a guitar in my hand and some sheet music and said, why don't you learn to play I Love You, Lord, for these kids? I think you can do that. And I did that. As I used what little God had, it began to multiply. And sometimes we bury our talent because we think it's insignificant. But the truth is when we use what God's given us, he multiplies it. Because he gave, gave it to us for his purpose What has God given to you? Some of you don't know what you're good at, and you just need to start somewhere using whatever little that you have in your hands to be a blessing to others and watch as God multiplies it. Now, some of us know exactly what we're good at. Some of you are like, man, I'm I'm the best at what I do in this area. I'm the best in my industry in this. I have a guy in my church who says, man, I'm good at making money. I know you all probably want to, who's that? I want to be his friend. Yeah, I know. He said, I know, I can make money. I'm good at making money. His challenge after he got saved was to figure out why and what am I supposed to do with that? Now, praise the Lord, he figured out. He's, God's gifted him with that ability to help build the kingdom. And so he supports missionaries, campus ministers. He helps fund things. And he, he's just finding so much joy and passion and purpose in that. For those of you that know what you're good at, your challenge is going to be to figure out how does God want to use that for his purpose? Because it's his resources. How does God want to use my gifts, my talents, my abilities to be a blessing to others? Wherever we fall, whether we know what we're good at or what we're not or whether we don't, 
The challenge is to say, God, how do you want to use this? How do you want to use the way you've made me to be a blessing to others? Because again, it's his resources, amen? It's not ours. We are merely stewards of the life that God has given us. Number two, one day, God will call each of us to account for how we lived and stewarded his resources. Passage is clear. Now, after a long time, verse 19, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. He came to hold them accountable for the entrustment of his resources, right? And, in real, and the truth is that one day we will all stand before God to give account for how we used our lives for his purpose. They were measured on their faithfulness to what they had and how they used what they were given for the master's purpose. The faithful were rewarded in proportion to their, their stewardship. But what's interesting is there's that one guy, the unfaithful steward who made excuses, right? I can relate to this guy, right? He said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. I was afraid, he said. And so I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have it back, what is yours? Now, I didn't understand this for a little while because Jesus seemed to be upset with this guy. He said, you wicked and lazy, selfish servant. And he cast him out. I was like, God, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? I didn't understand his excuse. I was afraid and so I hid it. I didn't really understand it until I had kids of my own and heard some of the lamest excuses kids make for not doing what they're supposed to do. You know, you come home and you say, how come you didn't brush your teeth? I was too tired. You were too tired? Really? But you weren't too tired to make a mess and you weren't too tired to play video games all night, but you're too tired to brush your teeth. Okay, I asked you to clean your room. I was too busy. Oh, you were too busy playing with your thing, but you couldn't do the thing I asked you to do. And I began to realize that you're not too tired, you just didn't want to do it. You weren't too busy, you just didn't want to do what I asked you to do. And that's what was going on in this, this, this passage. The servant wasn't afraid, he just didn't want to do it. And that's what Jesus, the master calls him out on, because if you were afraid, why wouldn't you have even just put it at, on loan with the bankers? And I would have at least got interest back. No, you weren't afraid, you just didn't want to do it. And by the way, he says, I dug a hole and I buried it. Now, 75 pounds of something, that, that would have been a pretty big hole. It would have taken some effort. I was afraid, so I dug. <laughs> really? Is that really what was going on? Or did you bury it hoping that the master would never come back and then you could keep it? Right? There, there's all these excuses that he made, but in reality, he just didn't want to do what the master was telling him to do. Anybody ever been there? You know the right thing to do, you just don't want to do it? Come on, I've been there, amen. I'll be honest in church for you, amen. I don't, I, don't, I don't wanna do what God wants me to do most of the time. Can I be honest? No, maybe not most of the time, half the time. And, okay, lying, maybe most of the time. Anyway, but we realize the excuses that we make in our soul for why we don't wanna obey God and, and use what God has given us for his purpose. Whatever those excuses are, and there are a myriad of them, we could spend all day just talking about the different excuses that we could make. The reality is, Jesus called them out. He said, you wicked and slothful which means lazy. You just didn't want to do it. And the reason why he cast them out, it's not because he didn't bring back a return. It's because he didn't love the master. He didn't care about the master's heart, the master's business. He only cared about himself. And isn't that the condition of our hearts? We all say we're too busy for God, yet we make time for other things that we want to do. Isn't that true? I'll just speak for the people in my church. We're too busy to go to church, but you weren't too busy to, to go to the, the soccer game or to the basketball game or to watch football because your fantasy team is you know, in the championship or whatever. Right? We, we make all kinds of excuses. We say we don't have the resources to bless others, yet we would gladly spend lavishly on ourselves. We say if I just had the talent that others have, then I would use it, but we don't use the talent that we have for God. 
right? The issue isn't a lack of resources, it's a lack of will to live for God. And isn't that the condition of my heart, I'll just say, many times. And I have to look myself in the mirror and in prayer, I gotta go, God, I'm so sorry that I just wanna use my life for myself. I don't wanna do stuff for you a lot of the time. And I certainly don't wanna do stuff for others a lot of the time. So I was asking myself this question, you know, why aren't we good stewards? Selfishness, yes, that's definitely a reason. I wanna use what God's given me for me. I wanna use my stuff for me. But there's another thing that I wonder is going on in this passage is comparison. I wonder if the guy with the one talent looked at the guys with the two and the guy with the five and said, if I had what they had, right? If I had five talents, then I could really do something. So I just, you know what? He only gave me one, fine. I'm not gonna use it for him. If I had two, I could, if I had two, I could do it, but I only got one, so I guess I'll just bury it. Then we compare ourselves with other people a lot and say, man, if I just had what they had, man, if I had the resources that they had, man, if I had the money that they had or the time that they had or the good looks like they have, then I could really do something, but I don't, so I'll just, ever wish you have what other people had? Ever wish that you, you look at the Joneses or whatever and say, man, I wish I had what they had? And that can stop us from being faithful with what God's given us. I'll just let you in on me. I wish I was six foot nine, 250 pounds and could dunk a basketball. That's my dream. Um, it's LeBron James's stats, by the way. I wish I was LeBron James, just drive to the hole, dunk on people and just be worth a billion dollars. I mean, come on, I could do a lot with that, amen? I wish I had that. I wish I had his platform and his resources, but I don't. God has given me my resources. I'm five foot nine and a half, maybe, depending on what shoes I'm wearing. 210 pounds, and I should probably be a lot lighter than that, but that's a whole nother story. And I could spend my whole life trying to be like LeBron James. I could train, I could whatever, and practice. I will never be able to measure up to him because that's not my stewardship. And I will miss out on doing what God's called me to do if I'm pursuing his stewardship, right? LeBron's gotta be LeBron, I've gotta be me, and you've got to be you. And a lot of times we, we spend our lives chasing after someone else's stewardship, I want to be like them. And we use all of our energy and our resources and our heart, mind, mental strength trying to be like somebody else, but that's their stewardship that they're going to stand before God one day and be accountable for. I'm going to stand before God and be accountable for how I use what God's given me. And if I'm busy chasing after LeBron's stewardship, I won't fulfill Billy Lyle's stewardship. You following what I'm saying? And I think a lot of times we spend our lives trying to chase someone else's calling rather than being faithful to our own. What resources has God given you? How can you be faithful to God with the resources he's entrusted to you? Because if we do, God is pleased. Because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. It's about being faithful to what God has given us. Number three, how we steward our lives and our resources will determine our reward, our eternal reward. Back to the passage here, verse 20. And he who received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents, and here I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. And he said the exact same thing to the guy with the two. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. The emphasis here is you've been faithful. You've been faithful. And it's in the faithfulness that God loves to reward. Every day, I pray the same prayer. God, help me to just be faithful to you today. Help me to just be faithful. Whatever you set in front of me, help me to be faithful to you. To the one who was faithful, not only did they get reward, the, the, one, the ones who were faithful, they got rewarded. And God loves to reward his kids. Now, we shouldn't be faithful to God for a reward. That would be very selfish. But God is a loving God and he loves to reward his kids. 
as a parent, right, those of you that are parents, you love to bless your kids. Man, I love to do that. But I can't bless selfishness. And I don't bless them when they're rebellious and selfish and mean, right? No, no parent would do that. And neither will our, will our father God. But when we're faithful, God, like a loving father, loves to bless his kids. And we all need to be reminded of that. We don't live for rewards. But you know when life gets hard, as it inevitably does, isn't it helpful to know that there is a reward waiting on the other side of this? I don't know about you, when life gets tough, as it's been for us over these last three years, right? When life gets hard, like when we were dealing with my son who had a medical challenge for about three years, thank God there was a, I knew that there was a reward after this life is over. Because life can get tough, and it might be tough for a really long time. Praise God that this isn't all that there is, amen? And to the one that is faithful, there is a reward. Again, we don't live for rewards, but it sure helps to know that God rewards us one day. We must live beyond ourselves, number four, by loving and serving those outside the church. This is one of the ways that we can be faithful to God. Jesus said this, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. There it is again, this whole thing about rewards. And you will be sons and daughters of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Love your enemies, do good, lend expecting nothing in return. What is he talking about? Those are your enemies, those outside. We need to be loving them and serving them, blessing them. When we do so, we be a light, we shine a light to the gospel. When our lives aren't just about ourselves, but we're we're giving of ourselves for others. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for us, amen? He gave of himself, not for his friends, but for his enemies. He laid down his life, he left the comforts of heaven, he went beyond himself for us when we were enemies with him because of our sinfulness. And he calls us as Christians to do the same. And at the end of the day, that's what really matters. We can't take our BMWs to heaven with us or our Camrys, you know, whatever you drive. I I drive a Camry. Uh, We can't, the only thing that lasts forever are the souls and lives of people that we touch and bless. And that's why we're here. That's why the church of Jesus Christ exists is to show the love of God to a world that is hurting, that is lost, that is in need of hope. And how will they see that if not through you and through me? When we serve and we love, we shine a light for the gospel. Matthew 5, 14 says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. One of the biggest things that we did as a church during the pandemic is we created what we call Pearlside Cares. It was our initiatives to be a blessing to our community. Um, our church is blessed with a lot of resources. We have uh, ability to do that. And so we did a bunch of stuff during the pandemic. Uh, one of the big challenges, as you know, kids were doing uh, school at home. And so tons of kids in our community didn't have access to technology. So we bought tons of Chromebooks and laptops and we delivered hundreds of them to the schools in our area helping kids that couldn't get access to technology get access to technology. One of the principals of the schools, because of that, got saved, and he's in our church now because of how much our church blessed the community and his school, because he, you know, he teaches in a a very kind of poor neighborhood, and he was just so blown away by the generosity of our church that he got saved and just, man, he's in our church every week, sits right over there and just loving God because of the generosity of the church. Um, We started a school supply drive, we did a toy drive, Thousands and thousands of kids were blessed through that. We started doing hosting a blood drive, and we did a food, we did a food drive in partnership with the Hawaii Food Bank. And, and over the, the couple, last couple of years, over 3,736 households were served 
And over 15,000, almost 16,000 people were served through our church. And you know what's more encouraging to me than that? People got saved. While they waited in their cars for food, our team would go and pray for them, led, led many of them to Jesus. And hearts were open because of the service and the love of the church. Now, it took sacrifice. It took money. It took time. It took energy. But it de- demonstrated the love of God to people who are hurting. You know, when we do stuff in the community, as a church, or even as individuals, it shines a bright light for the gospel, doesn't it? When we use our resources, not just for ourselves, but for others. And I was just blown away. We got people in our church today that, that, that look back to it. It was because of that food drive. It was because of that, that to- you know, toy thing or whatever you did. And uh, one, of the, one of the biggest, uh, most recently, we, we did an Adopt-A-Family campaign, and over 223 families we were able to help bless with resources and toys and, and gifts for their, for their family during the holidays, and, and uh, we got people in our church through that. Well, why, am I, why am I saying this? It's a contentionality, because we were all suffering at the same time. We were all going through stuff, but we said, no, we have to be a light to the community. We have to be a light to the world. Now, that's us as an organization But you know what really blessed me is when I heard stories of small groups going out to communities and blessing communities and neighbors. We planted a small um, house church out in Nanakuli on the west side of Oahu. And it literally started in this dude's house. Um, It started in his backyard. He actually poured concrete in his backyard so that he could have church in his house. Started with about 20 people. That grew to about 60 people. And now they're moving to an elementary school. Um, But what was awesome about that is that they went out to their community and started feeding people on the beaches and the parks and just, just being a blessing. And people started coming to their congregation because of the service that they did to the community. And why am I sharing this? It's all of us can do something to be a blessing. Amen. We, we can't say, well, I don't have the resources of a large church. No, God's given you all resources to use. And we can't say, well, if I was rich like LeBron, then I would give away, because he's a billionaire, then I would give to be a blessing. We gotta take whatever we have, as little or as much, and say, God, how can I use this for you? And then we see a need and we meet it so that the gospel can be preached and lives can be changed. What, what, what are we doing with the resources God has given to us? How are we using it to be a blessing to others? Because if, if we use them, Lives will be touched, lives will be impacted, and God is pleased as we do so. One great example of this, and I want to close with this. One great example, one of my favorite examples of this, is a a sports figure by the name of Tim Tebow. Now, some of you may have heard of Tim Tebow. Uh, This is Tim Tebow. Uh, Arguably, not a very good NFL quarterback, but I would say a great dude. And here's the reason why. Uh, he, he played in the NFL for about three seasons, won two uh, BCS National Championships at Florida, Heisman Trophy. Um, but during his career, he was mocked. He was teased. He was kind of, you know, blasted on social media and all that because he wasn't the greatest quarterback out there. And, but he was very outspoken about his Christian faith. So, you know, the world's not going to love that. And so they kind of hated on him, bashed on him all the time. But, you know, behind the scenes, well, first of all, he never fought back. He didn't lash out back. He kept on just being himself. But behind the scenes, he was using the resources God gave him to be a blessing to people. He started what was known as the Tim Tebow Foundation. Um, and uh, they just do, did so much to be a blessing to others. He started a special needs ministries to fund an annual prom for special needs students, giving them an opportunity to feel loved and valued. And, and over 50,000 students, special needs students, participate in his event annually, um, feeling loved and cared for. Um, He has an orphan care ministry providing funding to take care of orphans around the world. He has another uh, program caring for children with severe medical needs. He built a hospital in Davao in the Philippines, provides resources for children in hospitals around the world to recover from severe illnesses. Recently, he started uh, an effort to fight human trafficking, 
built shelters for victims of human trafficking. And here's what I love. He, every year he auctions off his Heisman Trophy and has raised over a million dollars for charities by auctioning off the trophy that he won. I just think this is, a, this is a great juxtaposition because while many of in our culture are trying to earn trophies and collect trophies, Tim's auctioning his off to be a blessing to the world around them, to, to the people that are, that are in need. He uses his resources and his platform to preach the gospel around the world. And I think this is a beautiful picture of what it means to be a Christian, that whatever we have, a lot or a little, we're called to use what God's given us to live beyond ourselves to be a blessing to others. And I saw this clip on uh, social media and it so moved me that I wanted to close with it because it's Tim, Tim Tebow sharing his heart, his why. Why does he do what he does? And I want you to hear from him and may it encourage and challenge and bless you. Take a look at this. There's a picture that I stumbled across and it's one of times 100 most influential images of all time. And it's the picture of this young girl. She's on her way from her village to a feeding center not far away. And she's so malnourished and she's moving so slow that this vulture is waiting to attack. So the young man that took this picture, I think there was probably something in his heart that he, he wanted to do good, he just, he wasn't sure, so, so he, he captured this picture and he just waited and, and then the vulture got closer, so he kind of shooed the vulture off and then he walked away and the vulture would come right back. And he was told, because of some of the sicknesses in the areas, don't touch anybody, don't do anything, and so he didn't. He didn't. He did nothing. Because apparently the cost was too much. So he left. He went back. The New York Times published this photo in 1993. In 94, he won the Pulitzer Prize for this photo. Four months after this, he chose to end his life. You see, every single one of us, we have a chance to be successful in life. And you know what, I hope you are. I really do, I, I hope you're successful. There's nothing wrong with being successful. But success is just about you. But significance is about other people. You see, that man that took that picture, he had success. That's one of the greatest honors a photographer could ever have. But obviously it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. So what's gonna be enough for you? You see, success is great. You can do a lot of things with it, but it's not gonna be fulfilling. And you can never forget that sense of urgency that it's not about your timeline, it's about their timeline. While you might have 30, 40, 50 years, they have days, minutes, moments. She had moments, but it wasn't worth it 
to go pick her up. It wasn't worth it to give her a hug. It wasn't worth it to tell her about the gospel. Yeah, I won a Pulitzer Prize, but what does it matter? What does it matter? It doesn't. And I think the greatest tragedy in life is we're gonna look back one day and say, I was successful in things that don't matter. I want you to be successful, but more than anything, I want you to be significant. And when you live for Jesus and you love people, I believe you're going to have a life of significance. Amen. I believe God is calling his church to be significant in this, this community, every community, in the lives that he's placed us around. Because all of us are around hurting people, whether they're hurting now or one day later on. That guy that I told you about in the very beginning who wanted to take his own life and I got to minister to him, he looked fine on the outside. He looked like he had it all together, very successful at his job, just bought a beautiful new house, two beautiful daughters, and it's just, just everything looks perfect, but we don't re- often see the hurt that's going on on the inside. Thank God I was able to build a relationship with him over the years and able to help walk him through some of the darkest moments of his life. All of us have people around us that are going through stuff, challenging situations, trials, and we're there for a reason, to use whatever resources we've been given to be a blessing to them so that we can help walk them through the darkest moments of their life one day. And maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, man, I'm going through some stuff right now. That's why this church is here, amen? That's why this family is here, to encourage you and walk alongside of you. And so that we can turn around and go and do that for the people in our community. When the world sees the church of Jesus Christ loving, sacrificially being a light to the world, they're gonna pay attention to the message of Jesus Christ. They're gonna pay attention to the gospel. But who are they gonna see that through? But not you and I, amen? What I love about Tim Tebow's story there is that Jesus didn't just walk past us. He came, he picked us up, nurtured us back to health and carries us back home. That's what he does. And as he's done that for us, we can turn around now and do that for the people that God's placed in and around our lives. That's why we have the resources we have. That's why we have the talents that we have so that we can be a blessing to the people God's placed in our lives. Amen. Can I pray for you this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank you that Jesus, you came to carry each of us, to pick us up in our brokenness, in our hurt, in our lostness, and you carried us to yourself. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us when we were unlovable. Thank you for loving us while we were yet sinners. And God, I pray that you would show us the people that you've placed in our lives that we can be a blessing to the people who we can encourage, the people who we can love, the people who we can take out for a meal or invite over to our home. God, the people that you've called us to love and serve beyond the walls of this church. God, I thank you that you've loved us first. And with the love that you've shown to us, help us now to turn around and give that love away to others. God, may we not hear about another suicide, another broken marriage, another person on drugs or addicted to alcohol, May we not hear about that in our circles, but may we be the hands and the feet of Jesus, bringing the Holy Spirit so that everyone around us can experience your love and your life. I thank you for loving us first. Help us to use what you've given us to be a blessing to others. Help us to live beyond ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen and amen. Thank you, everybody.